Welcome to The Tangentry. My name's Samantha Stephen. I'm Simon Dillon. And we are so excited to be taking you along on another journey of weird, random, down the rabbit hole strangeness. Or we could try and stay on topic, couldn't we? No, let's not do that. That's boring. Who wants to listen to that? Um, well, then we could literally title it and it would be what was on the title. Yes, but what are we going to call this one? Uh, sad stuff. Sad stuff. I think I think I that think... was what we decided was a wholly unoriginal, uninspired title. Yeah, it's just sad stuff. Okay. <laughs> so so um, I think what we were going to talk about was... Well, today we are going on a little bit of an excavation down a rabbit hole to do something terrifying and extreme, which is open up our souls to you at home about what makes us cry. Uh, to a moderate degree. Well, inside or outside, it's pretty... It, I, I'm not a crier. No, not in films, though. This is what we discussed earlier. You said you don't cry at films, generally. No, no, but I'm not really that much of a crier outside. That's probably some deep-rooted emotional issues where I just can't release emotion. I don't know. No, that sounds entirely healthy to me. I mean, I, I, I repress my feelings as much as I possibly can. I didn't talk about repressing. I just talked about not expressing generally. Not because I don't want to, but I just, I don't cry. I'm not a crier. Okay, well, well I don't in do real life. Cry? Well, not in real life, but I mean, you know, but I do if, if I see a film that moves me, that's totally different. Often? Uh, yeah, I've, I've cried at loads of films. Oh, jeez Louise. I, I, I'm trying to think now what films have made me cry. There's, there's one film which was a little bit embarrassing because I don't think it deserved my tears. Okay. And that was... Well, tell me and I'll tell you whether it deserved your tears. The Tom Cruise film about the assassination attempt on Hitler, the Valkyrie or something like that. Yeah, Valkyrie. Valkyrie. That made me cry. What, because of the accents? No. <laughs> Towards the end of the film, I don't even remember what it was, but I remember you, crying. You know what, to be fair, I'll give that film top marks for suspense, even well, though you know the outcome. It was probably, I think, the Jewish part of me being like, God damn it, you missed him, you little shit. Well, yes, but then, you know, look, I mean, this is the classic thing about the Nazis, isn't it, with movies? I mean, where would movies be without those bastards, right? Well, you need the baddies. Yeah. My, my grandfather, we used to literally sit around him in the living room, and um, my grandparents have always been obsessed with watching World War II documentaries because he was in World War II. Um, and he would literally sit there blind, almost deaf, and every time he'd hear about Hitler or the Nazis or Mengele or anybody, Goering, Goebbels whoever you name it you would literally he'd sit there slowly under his breath and it would get louder and louder and louder and he'd go those german bastards nazi bastards and all of a sudden you'd hear my grandma going doc the children Shh, <laughs> don't swear but um it did, you know he he presumably didn't feel that way about the entire german people did he no but it, the nazis as far as he was concerned they deserved to be wiped off the face of the planet well you know that's an interesting discussion right there isn't it because we are on a tangent already by the way that's okay and we're not supposed to point out tangents are we alex <laughs> no. says that oh, okay right <laughs> so, <laughs> you're just ruining this already ruining why would this. you do that well no no because this is this is something genuinely interesting to me um for example i'm against the death penalty Okay. Except for people who use mobile phones in cinemas. I think I'd bring it back just for them. Fair enough. But um, you've got to ask yourself a question with something like the Nuremberg trials, people who were the commandant of Auschwitz or wherever, you know, these people who were, were on trial there. And it's kind of like, well, had they really forfeited the right to live after participating in mass genocide? I mean, this, it, it, it tests you, doesn't it? I don't know. I, I feel like I'm very torn in or that you, regard you... because i do think that we should forgive people but at the same time members of my family died in the warsaw ghetto and in belson and members of mine in auschwitz so as well it, it, it's just that thing where it's like 
Yeah. Have I told you the story about but my grandmother? I probably would beat the crap out of them if I came face to face with them in that time period. Yeah. I mean, have I told you? I mean, I'm, yes, that's the other thing. See, I'm not a pacifist. I, 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 I'm sad that I'm not a pacifist because I would like to have that idealistic viewpoint. And um, I don't know if we live in a society yet that benefits pacifism. No. Well, you know, we should probably save this because aren't we going to have this conversation with Russell? I mean, we'll have it again with him, and I'm sure okay. we'll bring him well, well, I'll just say so. this then for now, but it's a small little thing about World War II. Um, my grandmother, my late grandmother, uh, my family on her side of the family, they, they, they lived in Berlin, and they escaped when they saw which way the wind was blowing, came to the UK. My mother, sorry, my grandmother married an Englishman. But she, during the war, she... Did your grandfather smell of elderberries? <laughs> Did you? <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, he was, a, your father was a hamster, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. No. At, at any rate, um, just this, this was a quite, a, quite a good story. Uh, she obviously spoke German and she was uh, on the, she, used to, she worked for the Air Force and talked to the, the planes as they were flying over the English Channel. She managed to get onto a plane uh, of the Luftwaffe uh, who was lost in the fog over the English Channel, and she used it, and he thought he was over Hamburg, and so she talked him down onto the south coast, and he was thinking he was landing in Hamburg, and that was the end of the war for him. Um, off he went as a prisoner of war. Yes, because my... so she's kind of like a war hero. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, yes. But anyway, that was just a little story about my grandmother. My grandfather did a similar thing. He was a doctor, and at first he was in the British Army. Uh, and then he decided the food was much better in the US Army, so he switched. But they were all fighting on the same side, so did it really matter? So he was a doctor in the US Army, and he was in the um, Air Force. And so he, one night, got a little bit tipsy, and his friends went, we're going on a raid over Dresden. Yes, Dresden, that bombing. Would you like to come with us? Wow. And he went, okay, why not? Which is a court-martial offence. He, can't, he, he wasn't cleared for duty. They needed to know where he was. He was a doctor. He needed to stay on the ground, and he was also slightly tipsy. So he went on a Dresden bombing run. So he went on a Dresden bombing run. His plane, the Dresden bombing run. The Dresden bombing run. His plane got shot. Shrapnel hit his leg and went into the neck of one of the crew members. He was the only doctor on board, saved that crew member's life would have bled out from the neck then cut the shrapnel out of his own leg actually he left some of it in so he had a limp for the rest of his life so when he landed he was given a medal and then he was court-martialed yeah which is fair enough yeah but you know what sometimes the rules need to be broken well they do and it, that tradition is carried on in our family especially through my brother and through my family too <laughs> rules are made to be broken excellent okay so Back, I don't know, how do we get onto Second World War stories? <laughs> don't sort of know. Told on, like, yeah, anyway. Um, what was this podcast supposed to be about? Oh, we were talking about sad. Sad, sad okay. Stuff. Sad stuff. Because uh, you cried in Valkyrie. Oh, yes, yeah. thank okay. you. Okay, okay, so. I feel so much better when you point out how we got somewhere. Yes. Okay, well, no, I don't think that film was worth your tears, in my opinion. It well, is, that, it's an I'm okay saying. film. It's a better film than people generally make out. And Brian Singer is a talented director, I think. But Well, before I say my next thing, because I only have two, you tell me one of yours then. Oh, this is like you show me mine, I'll show you <laughs> yeah, yours. Yeah, exactly. Tip so do I have to tell you one before you tell me the next one now? Yes. Okay, okay. Um, well, well, okay. Well, let's start with an obvious one. Have you seen Cinema Paradiso? No. Okay, I highly recommend it, but can I just say this? Please, please, please watch the full-length version, okay? There's a two-hour version. There's a two-hour 
two hour, 50 minute version, roughly about that length. Okay. Please watch the longer one. Now, a lot of people on the internet, so, you know, a, a vocal group, okay, particularly in America, insist that the two hour version is better. It is not. The longer one is better. I saw the two hour version on its original release here in the UK in 19, I think, 88. And I thought, it's a nice film. Then a few years later, they released the full length version. I went to see that. And that version floored me. I mean, what I was, was it in about floods it of tears. What was it that made you cry? Well, what were you connecting with? Here's the thing. That's, it's set in Italy, post-war Italy to start with, and it's about the relationship between this young boy in a, in a, uh, in a town who, in an Italian town who, uh, sorry, beg your pardon, is he in, he's not, it's not, Ita- is he? Anyway, never mind. Sorry, I'm getting confused about, I'm not sure if he's in Sicily, actually. Is he in Sicily? I can't remember. I'm going to have to look that up. I, I, for some reason, I've got it in my head that he's in Sicily. Well, look it up and tell me why you cried. Okay, so maybe we should cut this bit out because I just sound incompetent <laughs> now. But um, for not actually knowing this. We all have our faults, Simon. Okay, yeah. I haven't watched Cinema Paradiso for a while, so maybe I'm just getting confused. But he's either in Sicily or he's in a small Italian town somewhere. I, th- I think he is in Italy. But anyway. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he forms a relationship with this projectionist in the cinema, in his local cinema. And it's a kind of odd couple bond. And... He's obsessed with movies, and so straight away you can probably understand why I find this film to be warm, nostalgic, funny, touching, etc., etc., etc. And it is a lovely, lovely film in terms of the story of the friendship between this projectionist and this little boy. But then you see him growing up, and he becomes a teenager, and he meets a girl, he falls in love, and then it's all framed in flashback with him as an older man. He's become a film director, you see, and he's going back to this town for the funeral of this projectionist who has since died. And... The two-hour version is very poignant, very funny, very, you know, it's a nice film. But there's a whole 45-minute chunk at the back end of the film with him as an older man, which was cut for US audiences, that adds a huge amount of complexity to the relationship between him and the projectionist. And it involves his former lover, who he basically disappears from the film. You never really know why. Okay. And... The longer version is so much more moving. I mean, it in it in it absolutely it has a finale. I don't want to spoil it because the last two or three minutes of the film had me. I was a wreck. Yeah, an absolute wreck. I mean, you know, tears pouring down my cheeks from this particular thing that happens near the end of the film, and I can only recommend. I, I can only say, just please watch it. Please watch it. You'll love it. Yes, I will. I will put okay. it. I will add it but, to my list. But it really did. It 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 was a it was a profoundly moving film. And obviously, someone like me. I mean, there have been people who have watched Cinema Paradiso and have said to me afterwards, "Now I understand you." I mean, they don't really because no one can really understand them. But <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's it, they feel as though they get me a bit more yeah. after watching it. I think. I mean, my other one, which is the only I I must have cried in more films, but it's the only film that's very memorable in my head and it was about it must have been about four or five years ago now and I remember my parents ended up getting a divorce when I was an adult so I didn't have a childhood divorce I had it when I was an adult and I remember um I I found the whole situation okay I didn't find it that difficult at all and then remember I probably a year after they'd separated watching Mrs. Doubtfire and so that is not a film that you expect to cry at because it just, uh, Robin Williams is fantastic and has always been a nuanced actor, but that wouldn't have been the film of his that I would have thought would have brought me to tears. But there's that ending scene, I don't know if you remember, 
where he's literally reading to these little boys dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire. And this little boy is written in talking about his parents getting a divorce. And he's explaining that it's going to be okay and not to worry. And these things happen. And that's why. And I remember it just all of a sudden it broke through whatever brick walls I had up and just made me burst into tears. And it freaked me out like 100%. That's a good thing. But I think it, I think films have an amazing ability to put you in a comfort zone. But do you know what I think is interesting about what you've just said? Um, I mean, I'll come to my thoughts on Mrs. Doubtfire in a minute, but that's how I feel. If I go and watch a film, the defences are down. And and that's why I go alone most of the time. Yes. Well, I was sitting alone watching that, which made me feel okay to do that. that yes. makes sense? It gives you permission exactly. to feel without wondering what other people are thinking. And I still go to the cinema by myself. But you see, going to the cinema by yourself is wonderful. It's a sociable experience without being sociable. Mm. You're enjoying it. You're having a communal experience. I think people think it's a super taboo thing to do, like eating out alone. I eat out alone and I but enjoy But why that. taboo? Why? I mean, I mean, who, who writes these taboos down? Is there a list of taboos? Can't eat alone, can't go to the cinema alone. It's ridiculous. Going to the cinema alone is empowering. It is wonderful. It gives you a beautiful he- a sense of your own headspace. In fact, do you know what I do in cinemas if I see somebody I know there? Unless I've arranged to meet them, I will avoid them. In fact, I've got to tell you a brilliant story. There was a... Do you remember a fr- a fr- a, a Graham, a friend of ours? Yes. Okay, so not that Graham, yes, the other Graham. The other okay, Graham. so <laughs> actually maybe we shouldn't use names. Anyway, the, the, um, this guy, he was, a, he was a big film buff like me, and... Like me, he liked to go to the cinema by himself. Okay, and I went to a particular art cinema to see a particular, I think it was an an, a Japanese anime film. I think, I can't remember which one it was. But anyway, I just remember I saw him there and he was sitting a few rows behind me and I sat down and we both looked at each other and then we both totally ignored each other, both before <laughs> and after the film. Yes. Okay, and... You know, it was it was a it was a profound moment of bonding and respect. Yes. I spoke to my best friend about this, and she said to me, "So let me get this straight: you saw a guy you knew in the cinema, you ignored him, and then you ignored him afterwards, and you bonded over the fact that you ignored each other." See, and so, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't ignore you if I saw you in the cinema, but I wouldn't take it personally if you ignored me. Well, I absolutely would ignore you. Unless because I'd, I know that about you. Unless I'd gone there with you. Because, I mean, look... I, Which we I, have done a couple of times. Yes, we have done. But the truth is that, I mean, I think of a story of another person I know who'd just been to see United... And talk about a film that makes you cry. That's a traumatic film, United 93. Yes. Okay. And this person came out of the cinema and, you know, they needed to lie down in a darkened well, room. sometimes you need and space. They, exactly. And then they ran into some people they knew who wanted to sort of have interminable small talk and chit-chat. <laughs> and they just... Well, this person just wanted to go and... You know, look, I need to not be around people for a while. Yes. You know, you need you need time to process. And that's another reason I like to go to the cinema alone, because I don't like to give a half-baked opinion to somebody. I like the time to go and think about it, digest it, sit on it, sleep on it, and then have an opinion afterwards. Well, here's the other thing I like to do. I like to sit through the credits. Because sitting through the credits gives me at least some space to start processing, just in case. That was spooky, wasn't it? We had a strange noise there, but never mind. Let's just carry on. <laughs> okay. Well, while uh, Sam sees to the spectre, and there we are. Hopefully, it's gone. I think it's gone. But carry on what you were saying about the credits. I I like to sit through the credits because I feel like it gives you space to begin processing and actually gives you 
a moment of reflection on the film. Also, just to appreciate all of the people who contributed to film, especially in today's world with CGI and graphic effects and all sorts of stuff. Well, I, I just, agree. I like to take the time and the space. I hate it when people jump up and run out. But you know, the they're thing. programmed to do it because they bring the bloody lights up. Yeah. See, this is the other thing. This really pisses me off, okay? So, just this. No, this oh, no, no, no. This is, well, there are a number of things, but this is on the <laughs> list, okay? When I grew up, cinema going, they would keep the lights down during the, the end credits. We've lost all concept of a slow curtain. They bring the lights up so they can get people out there as quick as possible so that the ushers can go in and, you know, clear up the dead popcorn. And... You know, it's 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 very intrusive, especially if you've just had an emotional ending to a film. You want to collect yourself. You want to take a moment, as you say, or you might just want to sit there and enjoy the music on the end credits or the song, or maybe there's some funny bits. Maybe there's outtakes, whatever. Or there's a there's a end credit scene. All of those which things. Is commonplace. And the, and the reality is, I mean, I wouldn't say that I was religious in that I sit in the end credits in every film that I go to see. It depends on the film. Yes, hundred okay. percent. But agreed. what does piss me off no end is that they bring up the lights and why do they do it apparently it's a health and safety thing so some nitwit in a health and safety office somewhere in london has said i don't know what his name is but he's somewhere or she's somewhere okay and they have decided that someone might trip over a piece of popcorn and sue and so we have to bring the lights up here's the thing i can totally empathize and sympathize with this person because one of my responsibilities at work is health and safety so a lot of times people think it's bureaucratic nonsense. But here's the thing. If it actually was health and safety, what about all the people who go to the toilet in the middle of a screening? Exactly. Just saying, because exactly. that doesn't make logic. Exactly. So, so basically... I can tear holes. I think, I think what you need to do is you need to have a sign outside the cinema that says, if you go beyond this point, you basically agree that if you trip over a piece of popcorn, we're not liable. Okay? <laughs> I'm fine with that. And keep the lights down during the credits. Yeah. In fact, you know what? Very occasionally... It happens where they actually keep the lights down, when they do it by mistake. I remember going to see Hugo, which was another film that made me cry, by the way. Yeah. I went to see Hugo with my... Um, I feel like the list is long for you. It's a very long list. Eldest son. And that was a profound bonding moment for us. He was seven at the time. And that film deeply moved him, and it deeply moved me, for actually for cinema, similar reasons to the way Cinema Paradiso did. Because obviously it's about film, Hugo. But it's about a lot of things. It's about adoption. It's about lots and lots of things. But the the lovely thing about that film was I remember when the credits rolled and, and I suddenly realised the lights are still down. And I was so excited because like, this is what it was like. You know, they would have a proper slow curtain. Yeah. So. Well, I think I just remembered another film that made me cry, um, which was The Boy in Striped Pyjamas. Oh. <laughs> Your reaction to that was like, oh, poignant, good one. No, but the, the reason why it did was because... I should have seen it coming, but I didn't see it coming. Did you really not see that coming? No. no. I, I mean, I'd read the book. But so. I hadn't read the book, but I'm normally the kind of person who would be incredibly perceptive and go, oh, I know what's going to happen, but I just didn't. And I was so engrossed in the film that the second it happened, I freaked out because I could only imagine what the parents were going through. No spoilers, but it just is not... It's one of the most horrific things you can ever imagine happening. Well, of course. But also there's the other perspective of, but at the same time, I mean... Yes, but I think it's... It's a, a it's, very odd, nuanced feeling. Yes, well, it is interesting as well because of the loyalty and the innocence yeah, of the two 100%. people involved in that story. But I think it's a, it's a very, very powerful story. I think the other thing that's interesting, just coming back to Robin Williams, by the way, and talk yes. about Mrs. Doubtfire. I mean, I'm actually not a big fan of that film. Really? I do. Here's, okay, here's what I would say. I'm, a, I'm 50% a fan of that film. 
I love Robin Williams when he's in drag as Mrs. Doubtfire. That's splendid Robin Williams. Yes. Okay. I'm less keen on the sort of sickly sentimental when he's not in drag. But I wonder, like, I, I can only imagine what parents go through I don't, when you need to share kids. I personally think and When it you is, are heavily invested as a, parent, a parental figure, but you just aren't that anymore. Yeah, I mean, my caveat is I need to watch that film again. Yes. So I'm going to say to you, that said, I need to watch it again, because I don't think I've seen it since I saw the original release. I mean, I have quite a soft spot for that era and style of films. Like, I like Father of the Bride. I like um, Matilda. There's a certain type of film that films came from out the around that time. Yeah, yeah, which they have all got of quite a feel. I mean, I love Matilda, feel. by the way. Um, but I... I, that movie for me, I really loved his performance in that. I thought it was fantastic. Well, Robin Williams is great. I mean, my f- personal favourite Robin Williams performance is still Dead Poets Society. Yes, which, which is, is another film that made me cry. <laughs> I feel and, and, like no, they all made you cry. No, no, well, way. Dead Poets Society is profoundly moving. You've watched that, right? Yes, of yeah. course. Okay, so, um, in fact, I'll say this about Dead Poets Society um, on, on another personal note, if you'll forgive me. We've had a bit of family history in this podcast I feel. that's okay it's um, part my of my late much missed father um i only ever saw him cry at three films okay it's a wonderful life schindler's list and dead poet society mm. okay and dead poet society was a particularly interesting one because the reason it made him cry was because the character of of neil and what we won't say what he does but what happens to him in the story okay he was faced with a very similar situation with his own father where his father wanted him to become a doctor and my father wanted to study english okay and he basically had to do what he felt he needed to do versus what his father what my grandfather wanted him to do and that caused a permanent schism between him and his father now that's very com there's some very complex family history there but the thing is when he watched the film it brought him back to that moment with the sort of the confrontation between neil and his father and you know him wanting to pursue the acting thing versus his father wanting him to be a doctor and so on and so on and so that film for him really hit home i've never seen a film quite touch a raw nerve with my dad the way that film did and robin williams is brilliant in it he's you know i think peter weir the director is one of my favorite directors one of the most underrated directors in hollywood i think he uh, has a habit of getting career best performances i think out of his leads and i for me that's robin williams's best i see another underrated film by him for me is what dreams may come yeah i mean i remember watching that i watched it with my parents and finding it really unnerving just, it is visually stunning. It is beautifully done, but his acting again is awesome in that. Yeah. But I think he always got people always went, "Oh, he's a comedian." And then breezed by how amazing of an actor he was. But have you ever noticed how comedians are often capable of profoundly moving dramatic performances and often darker performances? I mean, Robin Williams did some great... Or nuance. Uh, well, uh, did you watch One Hour Photo? I mean, he's scary as hell in that film. I haven't seen it. I've heard him talk about it. Or in Insomnia, the Christopher Nolan film, yes. which is actually a remake, by the way. But, you know, but he's... Or in Jim Carrey, you know, the cable guy, or... Um, you know, some of his other um, darker stuff that he's done. Yeah. Jim Carrey has done some dark roles. Yes. But then, funnily enough, Jim Carrey also starred in a Peter Weir film, The Truman Show. That's another film that made me cry. First yes. time I saw it, by the way. <laughs> I know, I found... There's so many! But, well, the, the Truman Show was weird because it made me laugh a lot and it was thrilling and it was gripping. But the scene where he... Uh, again, I don't want yeah, to spoil spoilers, it. But there's something that happens right near the end where he's in the boat. Well, if you it, said that, you'd give away the whole... Exactly. And it, it just... I don't know. I found it. I found it intensely moving, um, and, and he was brilliant in that film. I think that particular film 
it is a study on humanity and that's the point of it. Yeah. Well, one of several points, but it was a film which everybody could connect to in some way, shape or film. But I think coming back to you, you mentioned Schindler's List there. I think... uh, I cried at that one too, by the way. Well, here's the thing. For me, I didn't cry at that one. I watched it super young. I think it was like 10. Mm. And as you can imagine, that's quite a... uh, an impactful age to see a film like Schindler's List. And uh, sad doesn't always mean crying. No, I agree. agree. That made me very, very sad at the core of my building uh, being, and for more than any other film or any other documentary or anything that I've ever watched, that hit home the Holocaust to me in a much more personal and poignant way because it humanized the bad guy. Yes. And by humanizing the bad guy, it made me realize that he's not evil a, he, isn't just evil. He's not a one-dimensional Nazi. No, no, no. But he's not a one-dimensional Nazi, but he's also... That sounds like a can of Nazis. It's not a one-dimensional <laughs> Nazi. Sorry. Um, but he, it was just that thing of, of he... It was a human being who was doing this. Yes, well, that's very interesting. I totally agree with you. I think it's one of Ray Fine's finest performances. 100%. And I think that the sequence where you see him talking to the maid... Um, and you can see these kind of, you can see he's been totally overwhelmed by the Nazi ideology, but these flashes of humanity trying to break yes. through it. You know, is this the face of a rat when he's talking to her and he's having a conversation with himself? She's not actually saying anything, but she is reacting the entire time. It's a brilliantly acted scene. Yes. And, um, you know, yes, an enormously complex role, an enormously complicated character. I think it, it brought home that realization at a super young age that the people who do atrocious things are human beings and that really got the wheels turning in terms of looking at uh, what happens on a large scale and on a small scale whether that be somebody being mean to you at school or watching somebody who is a dictator or decides government decisions being a horrible human being yeah, I mean, in the case of Schindler's List, again, with Amon Gert, the, the, the character, and obviously played, as played by Ray Fine, you've got the sense of the banality of evil again. You yes. know, it's like he's taking pot shots at the prisoners and then he goes and takes a piss. You or know. Uh, one of the worst scenes for me was when he took the hose and sprayed the carriages with it. Oh, no, but that was Schindler who did that, remember? Oh, yes, 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 yes. But, but see, I'm getting confused now because historically they used to do that, but they used to do it so that people would go ahead and consume gas more or lose air more yeah that was an odd scene because in the film it's it's played as um schindler's doing it to be i mean the the, the you know the ray fine character is saying you know you're being cruel but he's trying to trying be kind. to be kind yeah, 100%. yeah. I, so, I just for me it, it was one of those things and another movie that was incredibly saddening and alarming that spoke to that kind of thing was boys from brazil Oh, yes. And terrifying. That's an 18 film, and I saw that when I was like 10, 11. You know, I, I've always had a soft spot for that film. It, it kind of amuses me. I mean, I have... Uh, it was Ira, Ira Levin, isn't it? The Who did Rosemary's Baby? Yes. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, to be honest with you, um, I always like the way that... Um, I like that film a lot, actually. It's, I need to watch it again. I seem to remember the scene with the dogs at the end. Right? Everybody remembers yeah, the scene yeah. with the dogs. Yeah, no, it's it's a clever it's a clever thriller. But that one, it's talking about things like Mengele, Mengele and the atrocities that happen. So, how do you begin to explain things like that to children? And so, for me, I never had my parents explain that to me. Movies. So, so that what to you're me. really saying is, it's films that make you sad as opposed to cry. Yeah. Yeah. And I, for me, that was different because it, it made me sad in a way that was almost like a, a deeper note or putting the bottom in a cage. Yeah. 
it made me sad and gave me a full picture of humanity. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I mean, incidentally, I mean, and I just want to bring this one in here. Have you ever seen a, a, a Japanese film called Grave of the Fireflies? No. Okay, it's an anime. Yes. Um, I, again, it's about two children in the latter end of the Second World War, just around the time of the bombing of Hiroshima and so on. Um, as a study of the devastating effect of war on innocence, I mean, I feel like that film should be shown to every poli- anyone who's entering politics yeah. in the entire world. It's like, you know what? This is what war does. Okay. And it's one of those films which it's not political remotely. Okay. It is about the innocence and courage of children in war, but it's, it is so emotionally devastating. And I think, you know, I, I went to, I remember watching it. And I burst into tears during the end credits. I actually, you know, I'm like proper, you know, angry cry sobs when I, I couldn't, I just, it was so overwhelming. And I remember I got home and and my wife said to me, you know, you, you okay? And I was just like, I, I need an hour, you know, I need to decompress from that film. It had such an impact on me. So yeah, whilst in real life, I kill my feelings with fire and suppress them. In film, totally different story. Yeah, 100%. I think, I mean, do you think there are movies that affect children more than they do adults? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, that's not just in terms of how upsetting they are, but well, for example, how scary just, they are or whatever. Just sometimes that I think there's certain films where children watch them and then get a totally different take. Well, that's true. I mean, Mary Poppins is a classic case, isn't it? I mean, if you look at Mary Poppins, you've got the children watch it and they love the the, the songs and the, the animation and the comedy and the special effects and so on and so on. But I watched that... And I, I think, oh my goodness me, this is a film about a man having a nervous breakdown. Yes. It's profoundly moving. And by the way, it's also a very interesting story about the mother, who's just as neglectful, by the way, well, as also, the father in her own way. But there's the little thing they threw in there in terms of the Walt Disney version, where she's also a suffragette. Yes. And is active in the cause, which would have even then been quite... Yes. Well, I love the way at the start of the film, there's even a disconnect between the husband and the wife because, of course, he comes home and... Uh, sorry, beg your pardon. She comes home and does the that wonderful song, you know, Cast Off the Shackles of Yesterday. Yes. And then he comes home and gives his spiel about British. being British bank yes. and him, him... Sorry, beg your pardon. Him being lord of his castle and whatever. And it's, it's just a total disconnect. And it's hilarious. Yes. And where are the children in all of this? Well, they're, you know, off with a nanny somewhere. And I do like that. I think it's, it is one of, if not the greatest family film. For, for for what it does in the character arcs in those in that story, but it works on multiple levels for different audiences. And by the way, my mother once said to me, "You know, have you, you've watched Toy Story three? Yeah. Okay, we need to do a separate thing on Pixar. At some we will. Point. We'll do one on but, Pixar. Um, Toy Story three. My mother said something quite interesting to me. She said it can't be appreciated by anyone fully unless they have had children that have grown up and left home." Because, because it can be appreciated on so many different levels. I film. think, well, that's what I was going to say. I think there's the other view of that film, which if you were that's lucky... That's another one that made me cry, by the way. Well, of course it did. But if you were lucky enough to watch that film as a kid, as in Toy Story, yeah. and then you grew up at the same rate as Andy grew up, yeah. which is essentially what people my age did. So we watched Toy Story in the, what was it? Uh, Toy Story was 1995, Toy Story 2 was 99, Toy Story 3 was 2010. So literally I was watching it at the age Andy was pretty much throughout those films. And so for me it was magic. Oh yeah. Because I totally got exactly what was going. My toys were totally alive when I was little. Yeah. I don't know if they actually were. I'm telling you once there was a porcelain doll that in the morning was halfway across the room and nobody moved it. But aside from that, like... 
to me as a child, my toys were alive. So it was a thoroughly logical movie and concept. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the Toy Story films, all three of them are genius. And I think, by the way, you can make a case for every single one of them being the greatest of the trilogy. Oh, interesting. Um, I mean, I, I think they're all as good as each other. My personal favourite is two, but I wouldn't say, I wouldn't put it, put a, you know, say, no, that's definitely the best one, because I think a case can be made for all three. My favourite is number one, for sure, the okay. first, every time. But I, I think, for example, that deals with a terrifying character in Sid. Yes. Sid is scary as crap, but also it deals with the nuance of not everything is as they appear. So you see the toys in Sid's room... And but that's right. Terrifying, but actually, they're well, not. that's sort of almost Lynchian scariness to the. Um... Oh, don't start about David Lynch. Oh, we'll now do now David we're going to go down a whole rabbit hole. That's <laughs> dangerous. I don't think I've ever cried at a David Lynch film. Uh, could you? I think I may have sort of whimpered in terror a few well, times. If anybody listening has ever cried at a David Lynch film, tell us. You can tweet us at the Tangentry. It's pretty easy. To I, find. I did cry about how terrible Dune was. Yeah, well, that's that deserves to be cried out for sure. Well, it's my favourite science fiction novel, and it was completely ruined. I mean, anyway. okay, so do you have any films that made you sad but didn't make you cry? Uh, you know what? That's a really hard question. You know, okay, yes, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one in here: the remains of the day. Oh, which interesting, which melancholy though, wasn't which, that? Yes, oh you yes. Say? But you see, the remains of the day is one of my all-time favourite films. I absolutely adore this film. Anthony Hopkins should have won an Oscar for it. Emma Thompson should have won an Oscar for it. It's their greatest ever performances, as far as I'm concerned. It was the best film James Ivory ever made. I think it's a masterpiece on multiple, multiple levels. Now, the thing about the film is this. You know what it's about. I mean, it's about the, yes, the, the yes. relationship between... Uh, I saw it after you okay. suggested I watched it. Okay, so the relationship between the butler and the housekeeper in this uh, in this Nazi sympathiser's house during the 1930s. We had a lot of Nazis today, haven't we? <laughs> we have. Anyway, it's been full um, of Nazis. We can call this one the one about Nazis. <laughs> uh, sad stuff and Nazis would be, the, <laughs> be the, the title. So one of the interesting things about this film is the very first time I saw it, I came out of the cinema. I didn't cry. Not the first time. I yes. came out of the cinema and I thought that was sad. It was melancholy. It was beautiful. It was a terrific film. But, you know, and then it kept, it stayed in my mind. It nagged and it tickled and it got under my skin and it wouldn't go away. And months later, I was still thinking about it. And it really had a profound impact on me. And every subsequent time I have watched it, it has made me cry. But not the first time. It's interesting. I actually find that about a lot of period pieces. Uh, they tend to hold on to me and think, and I keep thinking about them. For example, have you ever seen Howard's End? Yes. Again, that was the film that Merchant Ivory made before The Remains of the Day. But that's what I'm saying. For me, I prefer Howard's End to uh, Remains of the Day, simply because it gripped me and I had to watch it multiple times and I don't normally have to watch a film multiple times to really come to terms with how I feel about it. Well, Howard's End is a terrific film and you've got no argument. I mean, that's an entirely respectable thing to disagree with me on. Thank you. I appreciate it. I have a badge of honour now. I feel free at last, free at last. But I think I just, that's why I'm asking you, is there a difference in terms of sad? Because I think melancholy is an entirely different emotion. I mean, I can think I, of another another example straight off the, off the top of my head, actually. Have you ever heard of a film called The Magic Box? It's about William no. Friesgreen, who was a cinema pioneer. Yeah. And in the time that film was made, 1951, um, there were a lot of very famous actors from British cinema and actresses who were in that film, including Sir Laurence Olivier, okay? And um, it's a really, really fascinating film about the joy of invention. But at the same time, the way the film is structured, it, it's structured first with his second marriage, then it flashes back to his first marriage. And 
it's a very, very melancholy film about, on the one hand, the joy of invention, and on the on the other hand, he other people got there ahead of him, and he basically died penniless and in obscurity. And there's some controversy around what he actually contributed to the history of cinema in any case. But the film itself is brilliant. It's a real masterpiece, one of my favourite films. And it, again, it never makes me cry, but I, I come away from it with this profound It's kind of like you're twinged with sadness yes, all of a sudden. Yes. Like it's in well, that's everything my, that's that you are. That's a twinged with sadness film, definitely. The Magic Box. Uh, there was one for me which was like that, which is Amelie. Oh, Amelie. I loved I'm... Amelie. And to be fair, it has a happy ending, but I remember, I think it's because of where I was at in life, because I was single and going through a more isolated period of time. And for me as an extrovert, I found that a little bit lonely. Mm. So I only had my world to entertain me. So I pulled certain things out of that movie that for me made it more melancholy than, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to just throw this in here, okay, to end on a contentious note. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of Amelie. Really? No. I, I, I mean, I went to I see it. Really I really enjoy that I went film. to see it. I des- Listen, I was, I, it was one of those films where I feel like I was wired to love it and I didn't. And I, and I, you know what? I was disappointed in it. And the guy, and you know, I, the, the, the people. What was who, disappointing? I, I don't know. I just I just felt that it, it didn't grab me. It didn't suck me in emotionally the way I wanted it to. And I almost I, I felt very sad about that. One of the other things about it was the, the people who directed it. Uh, sorry, Jean-Pierre Junet, who directed he um, had done some brilliant films that I'd loved before that, like Delicatessen, and like The City of Lost Children. And so I expected to love this on that basis alone. And I just didn't. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was a bad film, but it didn't. Do, it didn't do for me what Cinema Paradiso did for me, or you know, or something like that. Did you, you see what I'm saying? Yes, a hundred percent. I, I, for me, I always loved that film. I thought the cinematography was amazing, and I really enjoyed it as quite a surprising film. And also, I, I just loved the way that I related to it, even though it wasn't necessarily in my first language. And it did hold me in, regardless of that. But it didn't make me cry. <laughs> I mean, and I feel a lot of things have made you cry. A lot of things have I feel made like me you're cry. a little bit easy when it comes to crying. Uh, I don't know. If a film is done well, I mean, there have been a number of things over the years where I've, I've cried despite the fact that I don't want to. I remember the first time I saw Forrest Gump. made you cry. Forrest violated Gump. your will. I mean, Forrest Gump violated. Forrest Gump made you cry. I feel like it was cry rape. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was, it was like it made me cry, and I didn't want to. I didn't, oh I didn't consent to cry. You had not consented. I did not consent to cry, and it made me cry. And the interesting thing about Forrest Gump, by the way, is I feel as though I, over the years, I'll just sorry because this is interesting because I had a real problem with Forrest Gump when I first watched it. Okay, mm. because I felt like its message was. If you keep your hair short and kill people in wars in Indochina, the chances are you'll end up a millionaire, right? Whereas if you take a walk on the wild side, protest the war, you know, whatever, become a hippie, you're going to die of AIDS. That seemed to be the message of the film, and I hated that message. I thought, well, why are you making me cry? Because it made me cry when he ran, and it made me cry when he jumps off his boat because he's so pleased to see the guy with no legs, you know, the Gary Sinise character with no legs. And, you know, and that whole thing was incredibly redemptive and moving with him and so on and so on. And then I watched the film again, and again and again I kept watching it over the years even though I was kind of you know it felt like a sort of abusive relationship watching this film you just couldn't say no just couldn't couldn't say no I couldn't leave you know (laughs) and in the end I think I just ended up with Stockholm Syndrome and and um no I'm mixing my metaphors now but the point is that now I love the film I actually think that maybe I've just got more right wing in my old age but I actually love Forrest Gump now and I think a lot of my objections to it as an angry student were very foolish yes um 
I don't I think for me that film I liked it and I thought it was a really I thought Tom Hanks was incredible yeah he is and the portrayal but it's Tom Hanks and I love Tom Hanks and I don't know if there's a bad word I could say about Tom Hanks actually he's one of those few people where I go yeah, I mean, the, the only bad word I would say about Tom Hanks is that Anthony Hopkins be, uh, should have won the Oscar that he won for Philadelphia for the remains of the day. Ah, uh, well, yes, but you would say that. That's a very you comment to make. But other than that, I've got nothing against Tom Hanks. Well, we're running out of time on okay. today's podcast. We have had our fill. We've talked about what makes us sad, what makes you cry all the time. Apparently you're easy and that's everything. But thank you for listening. We haven't talked about E.T. though. Well, E.T., as you said, you want to take an entire episode to oh, talk yeah. about et yeah. i mean the funny thing about et i'm just going to give everybody a teaser is literally for the last i found this out probably about six or seven years ago and simon if i talk about et he's literally welling up right now across from me no 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 <laughs> yes <laughs> so you, not. Are. you are 100 <laughs> but if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about et it needs a whole episode it, we, and we'll give it an episode just be but you're gonna have to bring kleenex or something maybe people will just laugh at me possibly probably that's highly inevitable don't you think i think so (laughs) and then you'll probably cry more i'm not gonna cry i'm gonna talk about it without crying okay fair enough deal we'll make a bet and then we'll let you know later what who's gonna independently adjudicate this we'll have to get alex to independently (laughs) we will we will but thank you so much for listening everybody and make sure you go to the website www.thetangenttree we'd love for you to review us on itunes if you review us on itunes that enables more people to listen to this podcast and we just we're so egotistical we'd love for more people to hear our words don't you think Uh, certainly absolutely so make sure you're following us on social media as well that's twitter it's at the tangent tree or facebook which is facebook.com forward slash the tangent tree so from both of us we'll say goodbye and we'll see you next time